Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Thanks, uh, Pat, for inviting me again after last time. Uh, so good to be with you guys today. Um, we're going to spend some time over the next few weeks on the Micah mandate. Um, very interesting reference in Scripture in Micah 6 verse 8. Uh, Micah actually answers a very interesting question. What does God require of us? And, and I'm sort of wondering just uh, in 2020 in Brisbane, in Kenmore or Arana Hills where I'm from, just what is it that God actually requires of us? In Micah 6 verse 8, um, uh, the Bible says that He has shown you, O mortal. I love that reference that we're all mortal. That's something that unifies us, that unites us. Um, he, says, he says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. And then He gives us three, in, three um, elements that we need to consider. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Three things that that Micah felt God requires of us. And I think those three things are really, really critical for us to actually get some insight into in understanding the Micah mandate. The first one, to walk humbly, is a posture of faith um, that if we don't have that, we fall into spiritual lostness. If we live our own self-based, arrogant, prideful lives, we lose sight of the need of faith and we slip down into spiritual lostness. When it comes to love mercy, that whole notion of, of love addresses, I believe, the social pain in our communities and in our own lives where the concept of loving mercy, something we'll spend some time on next week, actually speaks about the willingness to engage the brokenness, the pain, the misery of others to bring healing to them. And then to act justly, to have hope, which I believe actually addresses the systemic brokenness of our community. This morning, we want to spend some time on, on the thought of walking humbly. But just before I get into it, I think over the last six months or so, a verse has been very central to my thinking. Um, and, and I just want to lay a foundation of, of thought for us to consider the importance of hope. In the world that we're living in. Hebrews 6 verse 18 to 19, the author comes with this little statement. He says, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. I love just the dissonance in, in what the author uses there. We who flee to him for refuge can have great confidence. I don't know about you, but Confidence is probably not the thing that I think of when I'm running away from something. Um, but this is not just running away, it's running to Him. So the author says we can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Maybe just a thought on that. Um, we play around with hope as something that brings uh, mental uh, relief or emotional relief if we can help people find hope. But we need to consider that hope first and foremost is a spiritual capacity. That it's the ability to turn to God that actually brings hope, that releases a spiritual capacity for you to think about um, what lies before you. 
Hope speaks about the future. Then he says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Firstly, hope is a spiritual capacity that secures and strengthens your mental and your emotional well-being. But more than that, it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. And, and, and when thinking about the Micah mandate, when thinking about what God requires of us, I want to ask you to think about what this life looks like. What does it look like to walk hum- humbly from God's perspective behind the curtain? What does it look like to love mercy? What does it look like to do justly? Realizing that all three of these statements from God's perspective has to do with bringing God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. Now, one thing that struck me is that a wrong definition of hope will always lead to catastrophizing or us falling into conspiracy theories. And we've had a lot of those running around where We actually allow doom and gloom into our hearts because we can't see what God is up to. And I just want to say, these catastrophizing thoughts, these conspiracy theories are not a sign of intellectual capacity. It's a sign of hopelessness. And and it's bred because I think sometimes we sell a version of Christianity that is so soft that um, that we have to find our own strength to actually build uh, some capacity into it. And I thought about that for a while, just asking myself, I wonder how many of us are really up to the challenge of living, um, living in true humility before God in this dependent posture where we believe that God will come through for us, that God is the source of our salvation. How often do we actually try to save ourselves? And, And how often do we fall and fail under the weight of what this world brings? A lot of that has to do with the fact that I think uh, Christianity has been sold for all of its benefits. All your guilt, all your shame, all your pain taken away because of what Christ did for you. I mean, that's such a blessing. But um, if that doesn't build resilience in you, we become soft. We promise people that it's all about your best life now. Um, And sometimes accompanied by great giving talks that if you give more money, you can get exactly what you want. And and we say to people that when you become a Christian, you're invited into this perfect community full of perfect people where we always love one another. And that's all we do. (laughs) And I think a lot of us has had different experiences. We say that if you stay true to this faith community, you will be safe from all the bad things that happens in this world and and maybe even um, the possibility of meeting the perfect spouse. Well, if you ask my wife, that definitely hasn't come true for her. Um, I think one of the things that frustrates me is that we abdicate our responsibility to live well in this world. And we sort of fall into the trap thinking that one day we just need to endear this world. It's not about our influence. It's not about the presence of God that we release in this world. We just want to endear this world. And hopefully one day God will punish all the bad people, including all the Richmond and New South Wales supporters, and save us and take all the good people to to heaven. But just think about this. And I just want to run through it quickly. Just think about the last words of Christ. I've got a few statements in John 17, verse 17 to 18. Jesus doesn't speak about us withdrawing from the world, disengaging from the world. He actually speaks about us being sent into the world. Listen to what verse 17 says. He says, make them holy 
by your truth. That's something that truth does to us. It sets us apart to live um, with capacity, to live with Christ-likeness, to live with the Spirit's power in this world that we're in. He says, teach them your word, which is the truth. And then this amazing statement. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Now realizing that this first understanding of walking humbly means that we surrender our will to God. We surrender what is important to us. And and I think it's critical for us to understand that we as Christians, we as followers of Christ, need to embrace this mandate that we are walking as sent ones into the world, not just as saved ones. John 20 verse 21 says, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. We need to understand that we have to grow from being saved from to being sent to. That the church in its essence is a sending organization. And part of that capacity sits around our ability to say, God, I will surrender my will to you. I will walk humbly before you. Acts 1 verse 9, we love this, where Jesus comes in and says, But you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of this world. And after saying that, that Jesus was taken up into a cloud, uh, and they could no longer see him. What a strange event. But could it be that Jesus was willing to be taken back up to heaven because he was so convinced that what was reconstructed because of the cross gave us the ability to do the same and even more than he did. And that's why he left us the responsibility. Go into all the world you're sent into. Take my spirit and bring this message of hope to everyone around you. So the question is, are you up for the challenge? And and one of the key things that we need to deal with is actually understanding the challenge of humility. Now, Daniel 5 um, tells us a story of a king, um, King Belshazzar. I'm not always sure about the pronunciation, but it's close to that, where he took over from Nebuchadnezzar. And as an entry into um, what he was doing, he arranged a massive party. A thousand guests were invited and, and they took all the emblems from the um Israel, from Israel, all the cups, all the sauces, all the gold, all the silver, and they had a party with all of this as to say that our God is bigger than their God. So this was a big statement of arrogance, that our God is over your God because we are over you. Now, now this is amazing because as this was happening in Daniel 5, you read the story that while they were going full on with this party, suddenly a hand appeared and started writing on the wall. And it's not just the fact that a hand appeared, which I think would be very unusual. It's the fact that the writing on the wall was something that no one could interpret at that time. So the king brought all his advisors together, asked the question, hey guys, what does this mean? Because it would be eerie. Um, My thoughts always, if that's the hand, where's the body? Um, uh, Just, I always think in stories and pictures. But the hand wrote four words on the wall. No one could interpret that. And the king's wife came to him and said to him, listen, I know a man that has the ability to interpret dreams. The spirit of God is upon him. And obviously the king brought Daniel in, asked Daniel um, to interpret the dream and if or the words on the wall. And if he had the ability, he would give him a lot of 
position and power and glory. And Daniel just said to him, keep your gifts. I'm not interested in that. But let me tell you what this means. He says, your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, became prideful and arrogant. He didn't walk in humility. He was the biggest king on earth in his time. But God allowed him to fall into um, just a crazy state where for seven years he walked around naked eating um, grass with cows. And after seven years, he was restored back. He came to his mind and, and Nebuchadnezzar actually claimed that God is the king of all kings. And Daniel said to the king, you had the opportunity of learning from your predecessor. You could see in him what was actually happening. And yet you chose to become arrogant in your own eyes. So king, let me tell you what the interpretation of those four words are. And we've got that in Daniel 5 verse 25. It says, this is the message that was written. Mena, mena, tekel, parzen. And this is what the words mean. Mena means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You've been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. And parzen means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Now, interesting what happened that night. The king died. It was the end of his days. King Darius took over the kingdom. Um, he was from uh, the, the Medes. And, and, and the question in that, out of this prophetic picture from Daniel is, what does it mean for us to actually live in humility? If Micah says, God requires of us to walk humbly, what does it actually mean? Well, three quick things. Um, the first thing is we need to realize that our days are numbered. It still surprises me how often people live, live as if they have unlimited time available. And we live with this one day syndrome. One day if I'm finished. One day if I'm married. One day if I have children. One day if my children are out of home. One day. But you need to realize someday your time will run, up, will run out just as the time ran out for the king. And if we live with this, we've got unlimited time um, available. We, we miss moments and we miss opportunities because we're deceived and distracted in this thinking that we have unlimited time available. I sort of ask myself the question, how would I live if I knew that I only had 30 days more to live? How would I live differently? How would I make my days count? I think when we recognize our limitations, we make the most of our lives. Matthew 6 verse 31 to 33, Jesus says, Don't be anxious about anything, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. But seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and everything will be added to you. Critical to think, um, just in terms of the posture and the direction of your life, that you could either fall trapped in chasing after everything the world chases or giving the limited numbers of days that you have available to pursuing righteousness and the kingdom of God. The second thing is realizing that if we are taken captive by the ways of this world, our lives will be unbalanced. And that's the second word, tekel, means weighed. You've been weighed on the balances and you have not measured up. I think this happens to all of us when we fall stuck in busyness, where we chase after the wind. And can I just say, busy is never better. I asked myself the question while preparing this, um, just when was the last time that I took a meaningful inventory of my life? 
Because if we don't do that, we fall to the demands of deception and distraction. And on the screen, there's some uh, things that I've considered. Faith, marriage, family, work, ministry, rest, finances, social, physical, mental attitude, creativity, learning. Things that I just called myself out of 10 just to ask the question, how am I doing? And in the areas that I didn't do well, I realized that I've lost balance. I need to do something about it. And I need to make some tough decisions. And the key to some of these things aren't adding things to your life. It's eliminating stuff from your life so that you can have greater balance and focus. Philippians 3 verse 7 to 8, Paul comes and he says, Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. He said, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Realize that your days are numbered. Consider the fact that your life could be unbalanced. And the third one is, could it be that your heart is divided? The handwriting on the wall, the last word was pausing, meaning the division of, of heart or things that are important to us. Um, the moment we think about the concept of the handwritings on the wall, it sort of alludes to the fact of impending doom. And when your heart is divided, uh, I can promise you that you carry within yourself a sense of impending doom. And we know that doom and, 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 and um, pain is stuck in our hearts and we become hopeless when one of these things are part of our thinking, where suddenly sin seems more attractive than usual. Or your emotions suddenly become very inconsistently. You become less productive. Or one thing that struck me in seasons that I've experienced that personally if you, is you battle to hear God's voice. I think the best way to deal with the divided heart is to come before God in rest. The Sabbath, Sabbath rest is an internal principle, not just a historical principle. And Psalm 46 verse 10 has meant so much for me during 2020 where it says that be still and know that I'm God. And I take my moments where I actually take these words and I start by thinking, Clinton, just be. And I spend time just thinking about who I am. Just be still, cutting out all the different voices, all the sounds, all the noise around me. Be still and know. It's coming to God saying, God, what do I know about you? What do I know about me? And then be still and know that I am God. I think the beauty of all of this, when we allow God right of way in our hearts, I think allowing Him to heal our hearts, actually allowing Him to deal with the pride and the arrogance, uh, the lack of humility in our hearts, actually brings us to a place that we know that there's certain things we can't do for ourselves. And Jesus actually knew that in John 7, 38, 7 verse 37 and 38, Jesus stands up at the great feast and he says, anyone thirsty? And I just want you to think about that this morning. Do you have the sense of thirst, something in you that feels that there's, there's a lack, that you need something that's a thirst? Instead of trying to fix this, instead of becoming arrogant or prideful, thinking that you could address that, what if you turned in humility to God? Saying, God, I need you. Jesus says, if you do that, he says, if you believe that he's the source of the fulfillment and healing in your hearts, he said, as scripture has says, said, 
Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. See, in order for us to address the spiritual lostness in our communities, we've got to address the spiritual lostness in our own hearts. We've had moments where we committed our lives to Christ, but it's so easy to fall into the trap that we could start off in, in, in the Spirit and we can start off with faith, but we can end in works. So I want to ask you, some of you, maybe this is your first opportunity to commit your heart to God. For some of you, you need to consider that this needs to be a recommitment, saying, God, I want to surrender my life. I want to surrender my, my arrogance, my pride. I want to walk humbly before my God. I want to pray with you and for you this morning. So God, I want to bring everyone this morning that feels the need to commit or recommit. I want to pray, Lord, that they would realize how real you are. That they would realize that they can experience you at this moment. That they would realize that you created them with value and worth. And that you gave your son to die for them. So that their worth could be established based on what Christ did. Lord, we realize that we live our lives in ways that, that, um, that we try to do our own thing. And we don't want to live this way anymore. So we believe that Jesus owns everything. Jesus is Lord of all. And today we accept the Lordship of Christ over our lives because Jesus rose from the dead and He carried the weight of our sins and He did something for us that we could never do for ourselves. We believe, Jesus, that you've, You have forgiven our sins and you, that Your grace has restored the relationship between us and You. So now we confess that we are Your children just as you promised in your word that we belong to you and we declare from now on Lord that we will depend on you we will walk humbly with you and we will allow you to lead us in this way of humility this way that you require of us to show to the world that there is an answer to the spiritual lostness in Jesus name